This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 43 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy's Critter Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we talk about qualities that make a good veterinarian. We learn about the American bobtail breed. Critter Nutrition focuses on flax and chia. And in Coffee Clatch, we pick dog breeds that remind us of famous fictional characters. So Tigger, yes, Patty P. I I got the funniest, well, sort of funniest text. I was in San Antonio doing a clinic, and we have some wonderful people at our barn. And the the girl that uh, is the barn manager has a little girl. Her name is Abby, and she's nine years old, and she's just everything that you would ever want to see in a little barn rat, you know. At this point, and there's a pony at the barn, and its name is Hildago. And she loves Hildago. And um, we have a creek field that runs along a, a field. And we always go out there, and that's where we take our trail rides on our, on our days where we don't work the horses. And she had asked her mom if she could take Hildago for a walk on foot. Now, she's a nine-year-old, and this is a pony. You know, he's uh, probably a medium-sized pony. And he's just as cute as he can be. And he thinks Abby, you know, he thinks everything Abby's does is adorable because she pets them and grooms them and they're just adorable together. So she, um, it's quite a long field and it ends up, um, uh, where the field ends is by a road. And I don't think that Abby's mom knew that she was going to walk that far down, but she didn't give her any limits. So Abby being a young, young girl is walking out there with her pony and having fun. And she was walking down a slight incline where she was confronted by a bobcat. This is a nine-year-old little girl with a pony. Now, I'm telling you right now, as a 53-year-old woman, if I had been on a horse, I would have been screaming. (laughs) This little girl. Now, apparently, the bobcat, um, I guess it must have come out of a tree because she was right by a tree, which we later on figured out. We probably think it probably has some kittens up in this tree. Anyway, but she sits there. on foot with her little pony Hildago. And the thing is kind of bouncing around, you know, obviously trying to say, Hey, get out of my area. This little girl in all of her wherewithal decides to shoosh the lead rope at it. And then realizes, wow, if I do that, it may grab onto the lead rope and it may take my pony. (laughs) Well, I mean, this, this kid's thinking on her feet at nine years old. Well, in the interim of this, there's the, there's a very large field next to it, a little bit above, and there are some babies out there. And this is just the way all nature works and is so truly amazing. If we, if we take a step back and just pay attention, well, in this moment, there's two young, um, uh, babies out there that are just now yearlings and a, a, a two and a, a, another three-year-old and an older mare out there. Well, they all come running over. And in that moment, they came running over to see what all the commotion was about, right? I mean, which is kind of interesting in itself. And the, the bobcat ran back up the tree. I mean, basically, these other animals came over, saw what was going on. And not that the you know, bobcats, obviously, they don't go after humans. But 
this little girl, <laughs> in all of her infinite wisdom, you know, decides to try to shoosh this bobcat away, gets the attention of some other horses that come to save their lives, and she goes running all the way back down the field to tell her mother. But in all of this time, she kept saying to Hildago, and this is, to me, just the sign of a true, true, true horseman, is she said, don't worry, buddy, I'm going to get you out of here. I am telling you, this is an amazing little girl. And she ran all the way back and she saved that pony and she was able to tell every, she was able to tell us what it looked like. It had very long fangs, (laughs) Um, but it would, it really, isn't that kind of an interesting story? (laughs) It's a great story. Yeah. 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 So this little girl saved, you know, saved her little pony and made it all the way back to now, just so everybody knows that they're very common in this part, uh, believe it or not, in, um, in Houston, they're very common here. Um, and they, they are, they're, um, uh, very transient. So they don't stay in any one area that long. We're thinking that maybe it has some kittens up in this tree. It's a very big, beautiful, I think it's an old oak tree. Um, but, um, they don't go, they're very shy. They, they don't want to be confronted by humans. And most likely, maybe it was down on the ground and it had something it was bringing back up to its cubs. Who knows? But, I mean, I have been out, I'm out there every day, three and four times a day. I've never seen a bobcat. And I'm telling you right now, I would not have handled it like that. So it's kind <laughs> really? of a cool story. I would have, like, whipped out my cell phone and started taking yeah, pictures. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, I think, but she was on foot. And as a mother, the first thing that I kept thinking was, like, I was thinking of her, like, oh, my gosh, this little girl. And, nope, she just was like, I'm going to take care of my pony, this. and I'm getting this I'm getting this out of here. I was so proud of her. It was just, but it was kind of, so we, you know, we call her the Bobcat Slayer <laughs> the Bobcat with her lead rope. Yeah. But isn't it interesting how all the other horses came running over because they saw something yep. happen? Yeah, kind of cool. Nature's pretty cool. And and you're right, it's all about paying attention. It really is. Well, cuz the other part of the story that became even more interesting in the in 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 all of this, none of us had realized this. Um in that same tree up very high, there was an enormous swarm of bees. Now that's wow. more dangerous than Yeah. Oh, well. Dang. And when um, when we all when they went back to go look at the tree, they realized these bees. And the interesting part of this is that um, again, everybody you know thinks, oh, bees, honeybees, that's great. It's blah 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 blah. Well, there has been reports of Africanized bees in the Fulcher area, which is not far from here, that swarmed and went after a horse, and they were able to oh, save the horse no. and the owner. So anyway, so in all of this, because of this little girl's, you know, adventure and saving her little pony Hildago, we were able to find these bees and. Um, yeah, because that could that could attack any of the babies, and if that, there was enough bees that if they had gone after you know one of the yearlings, it could have absolutely done some major. So, major what did damage. you do to the bees? They had a bee guy come out, and I'm not really sure how they take care of that. Um, you called an expert. I know that. Yeah, we called a bee. <laughs> well, the biggest thing is is we don't we didn't want it to be the Africanized bees, right. which right. can be I guess very very dangerous. Oh, evil. they're deadly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I haven't gotten the B update, but all, all I know is that Abby saved the day in more ways than one. Yay, Abby! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, we're going to learn more about uh, bobtails, so let's get on with the show. That's a good idea. That's a horse of a different color! Come on in! 
We're going to have a roundtable discussion today on the qualities that we think make for a good veterinarian. Um, of course, it goes without saying that they have a degree from a certified <laughs> veterinary school. <laughs> That's always helpful. <laughs> yes. That's always helpful. Um, I think what makes the difference between a good veterinarian and a great veterinarian is how open-minded they are, how open they are to learning new things, uh, stepping out of the box, um, and maybe throwing away the, you know, the book mm. and, and seeing, you know, and trying other um, treatments or techniques or approaches. You know, Tigger, I think you and I have been pretty spoiled. Yeah, we've been uh, really for, spoiled. for quite some time. Yeah. Um, being able to have Dr. Tim Ober, um, and we both met him very early on, um, and he, um, because I agree, I think it's so interesting um, to always bring different things to the table. And of course, Tigger, you're always doing research. Um, but I, I love when you have a vet that will really listen uh, to what you say. I mean, I mean, as as a trainer, um, a lot of times the vets always go to the trainer and don't listen to the owner. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and I understand time wise and whatnot. But you know, I have been um, very fortunate because one of the things that Tim always taught me, um, was to just say what I was feeling when I was riding. And I'll never forget. There was, there was, I, I can't tell you how many times when I would be, remember when we would do the figure eight and he would stop yeah. and make a stop in the middle. And I don't even know what I said. I just said, I feel like this, this one tires flat and he goes, there we go. That's what we're going to start. And it was just that one simple thing. And he just listened to everything that I said. He really listened. And then we were able to get to the the bottom of um, the issue. And I just find, and I think that that's always set the precedence for me, but I have been, you know, very lucky. Um, I just like ones that will really communicate back and that really, um, like I said, listen to the whole picture and listen to the owner's part um, mm-hmm. in it because they may just have one thing or one word or something that's very important um, to the whole picture. Um being able to diagnose, you know, could be the simplest of things. Sometimes, you know, we think our horse is dead lame and it ends up being an abscess. Who cares what right. it is? But, right. you know, the one thing that the the vet, the owner or whatever says. But just having that open-mindedness. And like you said, Tigger, being able to do things that are out of box, not always saying, okay, the ones I hate are the ones that go, oh, all right, well, we're going to do, we're going to give you this drug and this drug and let's yep. put them on a steroid and put them yep. on decks and do this. Yep. yep. I hate that. I hate that. I mean, I, I mean, if the horse needs it, you know, I, I'm all for it. But um, I just think it's too easy for them to prescribe stuff and leave a bottle of stuff and then get misused. Yeah. And really not understand what they're treating because mm-hmm. so often what we see is that the glaring issue is not really the issue. It's, yeah, or it's a secondary it's a issue. Or, yeah. 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 Exactly. What do you How about for, you, Jennifer? Jennifer? <laughs> <laughs> just throw it to Jen. Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're doing, Jennifer. <laughs> yes, you know. That will come up later in the show. Um, yep. I think you hit on a lot of a lot of mine, someone who's ap- happy to explain things to me. Um, a dismissive vet will never get my business again. Mm-hmm. Um, integrity, honesty, 
are real high on the list. I have actually had v- veterinarians in the past offer to lie on paperwork. Just mm-hmm. out of hand. It's like, well, you could just change that. It's like the fact that you even offer that. <laughs> the fact that even came to your mind. Yeah. yeah. It's like, really? Um, no. Um, and someone who takes the, the entire horse into consideration, because like you said, the problem we're looking at this very second um, might not need might not be what I need to be worrying about for the next nine years. You know, I I right. got I just spent a couple thousand dollars on some IRAP for this fetlock that's been irritated. But if I don't have a veterinarian that's willing to work with my team, my physiotherapist or my chiropractor or my yep. TCVM or who my farrier, whatever I've got, if they're not willing to work together then my horse is going to be missing out on something because there's always some other mm-hmm. supportive therapy that's going to help out what I spent just I spent $1,300 on. <laughs> right. You know, And $1,300 is a lot of money, you know? Yes, it's a big pile. Somebody's- mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's, that's one of them. It's someone who is good at working as a team with other practitioners. That's a really good point, too, because um, I've had some things happened recently um, horse-wise. <clears throat> um and just having one vet be able to look at something and say, you know what, um, this is what I see. I feel very confident this is what I see. I would like somebody else's opinion. Uh-huh. And like you said, that team effort. And, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, for people that are listening that are maybe first-time owners for dogs or cats or even horses is, you know, if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. And you should ask questions. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Don't, you know, go into... Um, a situation because sometimes when you're, you're, you know, with a vet, you know, we're talking mainly about horses, but even with our dogs where, you know, you go into something and I mean, I have my two little Frenchies and they tend to get skin issues very easily. Well, every time I go in, I always want to make sure it's not infected or whatever. And, um, you know, I, my first vet that I had here in Texas never offered steroids. They were like, okay, well, let's try this, this, and this, this is, this is here. If you want to do this, let's change the food. Let's do this. Let's do that. I love that. And then I moved and I came to a different vet's office and I really liked this, the the vet. But the first thing she said was, well, we have this long lasting steroid and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, these, this is what I've d- tried in the past. You know what I mean? And I just, and I just kept thinking, I am not comfortable with. And so, you know, when I spoke up and I said, this isn't how I like to do it, very open-minded, but you know, a lot of these, these vets that are just plumb straight out of school, they're still going back to the book and yeah. reading, okay, in this scenario, I do this, this, and this. Um, I think there's a big difference between uh, equine vets and small animal vets. How so? I um, agree, but how so? In my experience, um, small animal vets are more uh focused on getting the dog owner to buy the food they sell that's a good point the medications um and and there's a little bit of fear mongering going on. I don't want to overgeneralize but right um several vets both being in Florida and in in Virginia when I go to a, you know, a small animal vet, even one that's my regular, you know, and I bring up, you know, raw food, they like have a, have a meltdown. <gasps> oh, well, it's not balanced and you need science diet, Royal Canaan. I'm like, uh, no, 
and yeah. I'm not going to over-vaccinate. Mm-hmm. And, and then, they, then they start laying on the fear. Well, you know. And the equine vets are a little different in that way. They're a little bit more uh, likely to say, oh, you've changed the diet. The horse looks better or looks worse or that's interesting or they, they, even if they make dietary recommendations, they know it's kind of out of their wheelbox. Right. That's a very good point. Um, and I, I don't think, and this again, I, you know, I, I do not mean to be, um, in any way disrespectful to small animal vets, but I think there is a generalized arrogance. You know, we mm. know what's best. And, and, and certainly they are the experts when it comes to the medical biology part of, of taking care of, of animals. But I see so many dog owners just give up their power to the vet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. Jennifer? Um, I would tend to agree with you. I think part of the reason we see that more in the small and then companion animal parts of our lives is that the marketing machine that helps us learn about the health of our pet and what we can do for our pet and the services and the products is also the same marketing machine that can convince us that there's a, an, an issue that needs fixing that really isn't an issue. It's like if you tell somebody long enough that they cannot survive without cup holders in their car, eventually they will be demanding cup holders in their car. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. These, I think because the pet industry is so much bigger than the horse industry, I think that might be one of the ingredients and that's just what you learn. You just learn that you go, if you take to your companion animal to the vet, you, you don't ask questions. You don't make a, right. you don't ask for a referral. You just do what you're told. And yep. if you don't, you're not a good pet parent. Right. And that can be very, right. very difficult. Um, very. For, for the pet parent, you know. To, very. To balance that. I have to decide for myself what I think is right for my pet. Yeah. But I also have to decide what's right for my entire family, mm-hmm. for my family's financial well-being. Yep. And and you can do that in the small animal, companion animal veterinary world. You can find veterinarians who are um, sensitive to all of those things, but they are harder and harder to find. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's also gotten, you know, we've gotten more specialties in small animal, you know, you've got the guy who can, you know, the ophthalmologist and the orthopedic guy and the ultrasound expert. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just following the, the train of human medicine. Where yeah. It's not, but it can be a bit much. Don't you it, think it's okay. like going into Hobby Lobby at Christmas time? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you go against the wall and you see all those Christmas decorations and how many different forms of red leopard print Christmas balls can one look at? I mean, I'm serious. I have never been in a hobby lobby. Well, you need to go. No, Tigger Tigger would be scarred for life. Are you kidding? Actually, I'd like to video that. Their their corporate principles. 
Oh, I don't know about that, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> they have way too many leopard red printed um, balls. Yeah. Anyway, but I but I agree. Well, I just feel like it gets to the point where you're just like, well, but if I don't do that, it's sort of like you sort of said, Jen. It's like it. it you're, There's a little bit of guilt the there. There's a little bit of guilt. Well, there. yeah, and it's but it's sort of a form of bullying. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that just want to have a family member and don't know as much as like what we put into our um, pet lives because we live, eat, and breathe what we're doing. It's part of what we do business-wise. Some people are just have these guys as a family member and, you know, whatever. But it's, you know, it's hard though with the increasing knowledge that we all have about pet foods and different things um, that we, we know, like you were saying, Tigger, about raw food versus a commercial food. But we know what goes into a lot of these pet foods. We know it's very easy to research this, some of these things. And these, you know, if you take a step aside. Let me tell you, it takes guts. And I say this from, from the point of view that not that I'm the bravest human being, but I really recognize how hard it can be to stand up to a veterinarian and say, I'm not going to feed that junk. Yeah. Which is what I had to do in Florida. And, you know, I called it junk food. And I thought the guy was going to have a apoplectic fit right in front of me. And um, it's very hard to stand up to an authority figure, which is what a vet is, Mm -hmm. um, and say, look, this this is how I'm doing it. And this is why I'm doing it. And this is why I think it's better. First yeah. of all, their their ears are closed because they don't want to hear that raw is better or that home cooked is better because they're all worried about moving that all that stuff they have out on the shelf. They need to be selling it. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. That's what they know. Right. They don't know raw. They well, haven't studied when you they, they, if, if you look at the from somebody coming outside because you know, my dogs have always eaten manufactured dog food. Right. Coming from the outside looking in, um, when you feed your pet a whole foods diet and you want to keep your pet healthy, it takes a little bit more time for the human being because you have to understand what it is. Yeah. You have yep. to tweak it yep, regularly. Absolutely. You can't just mm-hmm. keep buying the same bag no. of dried kibble and feed it to them no. for their whole life. Absolutely. So it's, it's complex Correct. and complicated to do it right. And you can do it badly. You know, yes. a lot mm-hmm. of people, you know, if you want to feed your a but dog you a can whole feed food diet, kibble badly too. Sure you can. Yeah. Sure you can. But as a as a veterinarian who has liabilities from his point of view, it's a lot easier for him and a lot safer for him to recommend a manufactured diet because that's a lot it's a lot harder to go terribly terribly wrong. Yeah, but you know, with now with the commercial raw food prepared. Yes, mm-hmm. you can find that in stores now, which is oh lovely. My, yes. It's it, it takes all the mystery away. It does. Sure you does. just go to the refrigerator section and, and buy this giant it, it, piece of sausage. <laughs> yep. no, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's they're actually burgers or yeah. uh, you know, n- yeah. little not uh they they are they're they sort like of like pups. little sausages I get. Yeah. I guess. Um, but that just, I mean, that's as convenient as feeding kibble. Yeah. So I think we can, I think we can all agree for this conversation that a veterinarian who, um, respects his client's intelligence, 
mm-hmm. yeah. and is willing to have a conversation with said client yes. versus, um, as and I not as I like to say, reg- regurgitate what they read in in whatever book they read in school or at the AAEP meeting. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, the ability yeah. to at least um, acknowledge the the intuition of the owner of the dog or the horse, because that's the person who knows that animal the best. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And and just having a voice and not being intimidated and, you know, and, and then knowing that you, you know, that and you asking, can go in and have a conversation. You know, what are the yeah, and asking, being yelled at. I, I, yes. I don't want to give a steroid. What are the options? Yeah. Yeah. What else can I try? Yeah, exactly. What else can I And do? I do understand that these vets are in a position to say, now, you know, if you don't do this, blah, blah. I mean, and, you know, but I think this is part of the thing that they have to be taught because just being a vet, you have to learn people skills. You have to yep. learn business skills. You and you have to, to learn animal them. skills. <laughs> you know, I love a vet that when you come in, they get down on the floor with your dog. Mm-hmm. That's my kind of vet. I'm like, I'm all over that vet. That's yeah, it, no, that's a vet. really good point. I had a horse, um, and you've actually met this vet, Tigger, Dr. Stone. Uh-huh. But I had a horse that was very, um, he could just smell a vet coming in, whether it was alcohol <laughs> in their hands, whatever it is. And he would fly to the back of the stall. Why? And Right. And um, Dr. Stone... When I explained this the first couple of times and I, and he knew how I was, he, so he, two things, he cared about what I thought, but he more importantly cared about how the horse reacted to him. Mm-hmm. And he thought if it, he knew that if he went in and spent just a couple extra minutes, the first couple visits that the horse would come around faster. So he had us all leave the stall. He went in there with his own, he went in there with cookies. He like really took the time. And do you know that even, I mean, the horse is always, you know, a little bit backed off because it was somebody new that was coming in, but he always came to him. He could do anything to him as long as he spent the time. That's a vet. Yeah. That's a vet. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I love that. I love that. Well, and I know that there are tons of good vets out there, but I think the biggest message that we want our listeners to have, if you have questions, ask your vet. If your vet's not answering and you and you don't like it's time way, for a new vet. Yeah. And that's not a that's not bad. That's not, not a, a bad vet thing. For a person. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, Hetty. Hello, Tigger and Patty and Jennifer. Hello. So what have, you, what have you got to tell us today? Well, to be frank, things have not been going as well as we might have hoped. We were at a horse show this past weekend, as you know, we often are. <laughs> we were in the truck with our small brother and our larger brother, and for reasons known only to the mind of a Swedish Valhund, the small brother ate a bottle of Advil, 700 of them. Oh We're not my sure what possessed him to do this. God. But when our servant came back from doing her work, our brother was in a coma. And even though she went to the emergency clinic with him, he died. Oh, Hetty. And we were sick, too. Oh, my no. sister and me, not my big brother, he was fine, but me and my sister were 
to ask everyone in my audience to please go into their cars where they might leave their dogs. And if they think that their cars are safe, please look again and make sure there are no bottles of pills or detergent or chalk or anything else potentially fatal to a small dog in their car. If they find those things, put them in the trunk. Oh, what a hard oh, lesson. Hattie. I am so sorry. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, we're very glad you're okay. My sister and I will be fine after another few weeks of eating and super late. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So wow. your GI tract got affected. My sister in particular has a very high platelet count. Ah, so did, wow. you, did you eat some of the ibuprofen? Well, it turns out that maybe because our dinner was late due to the emergency nature of the situation, we might have eaten some of the vomit that had liver treats in it. Oh. Ah. Yeah. So we did not eat very much, but we did. We are only small dogs, 10 pounds each small dog. And so we got sick. Yeah. It, it is oh. amazing how one small thing a, a a bottle of seemingly innocuous medication for a human yeah. um, can have such a cascading effect on the whole pet family. Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, Hetty. It is to be hoped that everyone will just take a minute and clean things out. So in case they have a dog who is suddenly possessed by a demon spirit that urges it to eat 700 plus tablets of ibuprofen, that will not be possible. I'm going to yeah. go out and dog proof my truck. Yeah, me yes. too. Me too. Me too, Hetty. Well, that is just, we're so sorry. Thank you. <sighs> we miss our brother. I'm I sure bet you do. You do. Well, hopefully he's just saved many a life by yes. sacrificing his. And and thank you so much for sharing this during a very, very difficult time. You're welcome. I hope it will help some other small dogs. And big I'm dogs. I'm sure it will. And big dogs. Yes, I'm sure it will. Too. Thank you, Hetty. Mm -hmm. You're a giver. Thanks, thank you, Hetty. Hetty. You okay, take bye. it easy. Mm -hmm. Bye. And now it's time for the breed of the show. We are at the breed of the show, and I have chosen to do uh, a Bob American Bobtail cat. Um, they uh, are, are something that recently became um, very interesting to me. Um, I have. <clears throat> Actually, recently we had a bobcat come onto our farm, and I started doing a little research about them. And the bobtail, American bobtail, otherwise known as a stubby, uh, came <laughs> into—I know it's kind of funny. <laughs> and apparently, so there's—I'm not really sure. Urban legend says it's a result of crossbreeding between a tabby cat and a bobcat. Now, I have—I—I I really, honestly, have no idea if that's truly what it is, but. You people need to look these cats up because they are darling. They're darling little cats. They're very sturdy. They have a shortened tail with a little bit of kink in it, and otherwise known as the stubby. Um, they they are a, a 
there's many different colors, but the, the main one is sort of like a tabby version, but they're very, very playful, social, energetic. They love bonding with their people. Um, they're kind of, you know, dog-like in the aspect that, um, they'll pick up a toy and they'll carry it around. Um, they'll stock their toys. They, um, they so, make these. So they're like a retriever. <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny because I, the, the more I kept reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, these things are so cute. So apparently, when they're very proud of themselves, they'll chirp or trill or make a clicking noise. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? It is. Um, they get along excellent with other, um, with other animals and cats and dogs and whatever. But they, um, they're they're very very social. Apparently, they're extraordinarily trainable. Um, they, um, and again, they're not, their, their, their origin is the United States. And it, like I said, it, the urban legend says it's crossbreeding and there was a bunch of different, you know, things that, that they said they crossbreed with. But the interesting part of this is they take a long time to mature and, um, they're like a warm blood. <laughs> yeah. But like two to three years. So that's much slower than a domestic cat. Um, but the biggest thing about them is that they, they're just ex- extreme. They're very, they're a very bright cat, but they, um, they're, they bond, they bond like a dog, which kind of sounds stupid, but they, they very much, they love, they, um, are very trainable. They are great apartment cats. They don't need a lot of maintenance. Um, they have any, they have different lengths of coats. They have, you know, short coat, longer coat, sort of like, you know, kind of like a domestic cat. You know how there's different varieties of domestic cats um, and they have long coats, short coats, whatever. Same thing with, with these guys. But the biggest thing is, is that they, um, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're very, they're just the most adorable they to me they kind of look like um Tigger what's the one that like you you like Maine Coon they're sort Maine of like Coon. a Maine Coon, but they're not as big um they're a moderately sized cat Maine Coons are very large um but I like they, them big yeah but they're they're very stocky so if they really are and I don't know if you guys have ever looked up what, like what a bobcat looks like um they're kind of a you know, Bob, a wild bobcat obviously does not have a very long tail. So I, I, I just, I just find these things so incredibly adorable. So we, so we can look forward to you getting an American bobtail at some point in your future. I am hoping that I don't cave. <laughs> is all I'm going to say. <laughs> I am hoping that I don't cave. But, um, you know, they, they are very affectionate with families. They are, they are, they tend to be higher shedders than maybe most people would want their general health is excellent. Their, 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 their playfulness is off the charts. They vocalize sort of like a Siamese, but not as bad as a Siamese. They're kid friendly. They're for, they're friendly towards strangers. They're easy to groom. They're intelligent. They're just, I don't, I don't know. They're just all around a really good cat. Didn't even know they existed until I looked up Bobcats. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea. So there you go. So I think this is on our checklist of to be interested in, in the future. Tigger. That's all I'm going to say. There we go. Okay. Potential new pet in your home. Yep. Potential new pet. Just please don't tell Peter. All right. It's, all, it's our little secret. <laughs> and- And now we're at Critter Nutrition, and today we're going to talk about flax or chia seeds. 
often I'm asked, you know, should I feed my horse flax or chia seeds? And my answer is, it depends on the reasons you are adding omega-3s. That was as clear as mud, wasn't it? There are benefits to both flax and chia, and which one you use depends on your horse and his or her needs. Flaxseed nutrition. Flax has been fed to horses for literally hundreds of years. Flax is mentioned as a food for horses in much of the reprinted, published equine veterinary books of the mid-1800s. Flax provides high amounts of omega-3 fatty acids and very low amounts of omega-6. The ratio of omega-3s to 6 in flax is 3 to 1. Flax provides 40% fat, 30% fiber, 20% protein, and small amounts of B1, manganese, magnesium, phosphorus, and copper. Flaxseed, freshly ground, stabilized, whole, soaked, or cooked. There are lots of opinions on how best to feed flax seeds. I feed flax seeds whole and have for years. I feed a wet feed so the flax seeds get mixed and soaked with the rest of the foods. In the summer, that can be for as little as five minutes. Because of the hard outer shell of the flax seed itself, some people prefer to grind their flax before feeding to increase digestibility. There are horses who may not have enough digestive enzymes to fully break down all the flax you feed, so grinding is an option. Flax seeds could go rancid in the heat from the oil content of the seed. It's one of the reasons flax oil is not a cooking oil. It cannot tolerate heat like coconut or camelina oil can. Stabilized flax helps to prevent rancidity. If you can't refrigerate your flax seed during hot weather weather over 90 degrees, you might want to use stabilized flax during the hot months. When I first started feeding flax seeds back in the late 1990s, it was winter time, and a German friend of mine recommended cooking the flax before feeding. Every afternoon, I would make a big pot of boiled flax seed and feed it to the horses in their evening meal. They loved it, but what a mess. When you cook flax, it releases its mucilage and becomes a sticky, blobby food. Cooking, however, also degrades the omega-3s. Remember, flaxseed oil cannot tolerate heat, but cooking like grinding flaxseed, does make it easier for the horse to digest. There is a wives' tale that cooking degrades the tiny amount of cyanide in flaxseed, but we now know that these glycosamine enzymes are destroyed in the equine stomach and small intestine long before they can release cyanide, so cooking is not necessary. Remember also that like cyanide and apple seeds, these toxins from the seeds are at a level to kill the enemies of apples and flax seeds, insects. This is the flax and apple tree's natural defense, but not against humans or animals. At Biostar, we sprout our flax seeds before using them, thus activating the seed, helping to break the hard outer shell and improve digestibility. Choosing flaxseed. Flax seeds are an economical choice for omega-3 supplementation with the added benefit of protein and fiber and other nutrients. Flax seeds are safe, easy to feed, no matter which form you choose to use, and horses love and benefit from them. If your horse is on healthy pasture all spring, summer, and fall, you may not need additional omega-3 supplementation because a healthy pasture provides plenty of omega-3s. But if your horse is on pasture only a few hours per day or on stressed pasture or drought pasture, then you will want to supplement omega-3s. Hays, due to the drying process, lose a lot of the omegas. Also, during the winter when the pasture is dormant, adding omega-3s to the feed is very important. Chia seeds. 
Known as the food of the Mayans and Aztecs, chia was consumed as medicine, food for strength and endurance, and as an offering to the gods during rituals. When the Spanish conquered Mesoamerica, they banned chia. Legend has it that they attributed the fierceness of the indigenous warriors to chia seeds. Chia seeds provide 18% protein, 30% fat, and 26% fiber. Like chia, like flax, chia provides a 2 to 1 ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids. The unique benefits of chia. Chia provides the amino acid proline, the major constituent of collagen. For horses healing from tendon or ligament injury, chia is an important food for connective tissue healing and repair. Chia is high in mucilage. That works like psyllium to clear the GI tract of sand and debris. The mucilage also helps slow the digestion of carbohydrates, making chia a superfood for easy keepers and metabolic horses. Depending on where the chia is grown, chia can provide the micromineral boron. This nutrient is important because it effectively increases calcium integration into cartilage and bone. Clinical studies in humans demonstrate that boron supports healthy bones by increasing calcium absorption. Because much of, our, of the soil our food is grown in is now deplete of this trace element, the source of the chia becomes important. Biostar and equinechia.com both purchased chia from Ecuador and Bolivia because the boron content is still high in those soils. Some areas of the U.S. that grow chia are very low or non-existent in boron. Chia seeds are tiny, don't have the hard outer shell of flax, so they don't need to be ground and are easy for horses to digest. Chia seeds are very stable, they won't go rancid in hot weather, and have a two-year shelf life. When to supplement with flax or chia? Horses on limited turnout, horses on low-quality pasture, benefit from additional omega-3 supplementation. The omega fatty acids degrade very quickly in hay, so horses mostly on hay need omegas. Omegas are important for horses in winter as the omega content of pastures is minuscule at best. Whether you choose flax or chia, you are providing your horse with the beneficial omega-3s, which are essential for the health of your horse. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So we are now at Coffee Clatch, and we are going to um, talk about, we're going to share our opinions about which dog breed best represents the following fictional characters, <laughs> Batman, Superman, 
Han Solo, Mr. Spock, Ray from The Force Awakens, Katniss from The Hunger Games, and Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future. So, Patty, what do you have for Batman? <laughs> what, what breed do you think best represents? What do you think I'm going to say? I don't, I don't know. Oh, come on. What has bat-like ears? A Frenchie. Uh, but but oh. their personality isn't Batman-ish. Uh, um, I feel like... She's going with a visual. <laughs> I went visual. I'm sorry. I, and as you know, I'm so not... like. Good. <laughs> all the listeners need to know. I may not know all the characters, <laughs> much to poor Tigger's dismay. Um, I I went with a Frenchie because I feel that Frenchies can fly through the air like a bat. I, I just I went visual. I'm sorry. I went visual. Tigger. Batman's put on a few pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're buxom. <laughs> I went with a miniature pincher, a min pin. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, ready for action. Yeah. But if Frenchie's like that, I'm just saying. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You have not lived with them. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have, Jennifer? I went with the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Oh. I can just totally see him wearing the out the plastic out with outfit with the, the fake abs and going, I'm Batman. I can totally see him doing that. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I am Batman. Very good. Very good. <coughs> okay, Patty, who'd you have for Superman? <laughs> well, I I didn't go as visual this time. I went for something that I thought was could be regal, but but athletic and um, bounding. So I went with a boxer. Good choice. I had him on my top, the top of my list. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't choose him, but he was on my list. Well, and I also have. I also had Akita, but I thought Boxer was better. I think Boxer was better too. I agree. How about you, Tigger? Uh, um, I had the Border Collie, and I, and I'll tell you yeah. why. Because Superman has these, you know, unbelievable powers. When I watch a Border Collie work, they they to me yeah. have those powers. And they're kind yeah. of the mild-mannered dog in the house. And then as soon as you let them loose, they're like, I'm on it. Kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's perfect. Okay, perfect. There we go. I, I went with the Belgian Shepherd. Oh. Which looks oh. kind of, to me at least, looks like a cross between a German Shepherd and an Irish Setter, personally. But they kind right. of have that long, silky coat. And they're very, very handsome. Yes. But they are also very smart and strong, and they can leap tall buildings. And they're quick. Ah, and they're quick. quick. Yeah. And okay, they look really sure. good in horn-rimmed glasses. <laughs> <laughs> look at that cape. face. It would look awesome in horn-rimmed glasses. And a red cape on. And a red cape. Oh, that's good. Okay, Patty, who did you have for Han Solo? The only thing that I thought was obvious to me, <clears throat> but brave, built for... Uh, b- built for work and for beauty. I went with a Rottweiler. <laughs> How about you, Tigger? I had the Australian Shepherd. Oh. Do you see a trend in Tigger's choices? Yes, I do. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Well, think, you know, they're, they, on the surface, they're the obedient good dogs. And then they just break loose and they're 
you know, sort of scoundrels, devil, devil in a nice way, adventuresome, ready for action, um, gonna, you know, take on the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, I see that. Interesting. Interesting. See, I have a slightly different take on who Han Solo the character is. <coughs> so I went, get ready for this, with the King yes. Charles Spaniel. What? <laughs> that is see, like uh, I said, okay. I think that, of I what? don't think of Han Solo as being brave or ready to take on the bad guys. I think of Han Solo as the pretty face who is very loyal and mm-hmm. will defend his territory when required. But it has to he was a smuggler. <laughs> uh oh, you woken up the beast. Charles, you woken up the beast, Jennifer. Smuggler. <laughs> he might sit in the lap of a smuggler, but <laughs> sorry. So is it fair to say, Tigger, you disagree? <laughs> Just a bit. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to be a little controversial. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. So Patty, who did you have for Mr. Spock? I am really proud of this one. I went visual. A Bedlington Terrier. Ah! <laughs> With the little dots on the ends of his ears. Yeah, well, and I just thought there's kind of pointy nose. They're very smart. They can be odd in they, they, you know, they can, they can have kind of an odd personality, um, but, but be good dogs, very trainable. So I don't know. I just thought it was a, I a ton of noise. Really proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till I get to Ray as all, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what did you have, Jennifer? For Mr. Spock, I went with a Basenji. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. I Oh, you know, I had that written down. I yeah, can't spell that... it properly, but no. they, they just strike me as a dog that's uber smart, but they're so mm-hmm. quiet and kind of stealthy about it. Nobody knows and they how don't smart bark. they really are. They don't bark. Yeah. And they, they don't, don't bark. bark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Tig? I went in a totally different direction. Oh, I'm sure that's you did. nothing new for you, Tigger. Yes. I went with the Great Dane. I can totally see that. Great Dane? Uh-huh. Totally see that. Because they look like they're just a very quiet, reserved, you know, very cool, which is the way Spock was. And they pretend that they're not smart, but I think they are quite smart. Okay. Yeah. That was good. I can totally see a Great Dane. Okay, Patty, who did you have for Ray from The Force Awakens? <laughs> <laughs> because I know so much about this. Yes, you've you watched that a, movie multiple times. Yes, I chose a Belgian Malinois. Oh, that's interesting. That's doable. One. Was it? Yeah. Was that good? Was that a good one, Tigger? 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 Dig? It's not how I see her. <laughs> well, I could be in, I, my impression can be changed easily. <laughs> okay. How do you see her, Tiggs? As a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Okay. Yeah. Why? You know, they're very beautiful and they're very brave because they hunt lions. And right. Ray was very beautiful and incredibly courageous. But see, Belgian Melon was are very courageous. 
Yes, but they're not as beautiful as a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Oh! Very, oh drop the mic. In a different way. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, that's Rhodesian, true. That's true. Yeah. There's just something very, I don't know, about a lion dog. Yeah, no, I, I, no, good. That's a very good point. What did you have, Jennifer? I liked mine until you said the lion dog thing. <laughs> I see Ray really? as um, beautiful yet tenacious. Yeah, for so sure. I went with. That's a, what I was thinking. I went with a harrier. Oh. And a harrier oh. looks like a oh. beagle, but it's a lot prettier. Uh-huh. Just think of a yeah, beagle that was refined. And longer and legs, I and think. And longer legged. And they're beautiful. Super, they're super beautiful. cute. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Oh, that's a good one. That, yeah. But I kind of like the lion dog, damn it. Yeah, no, it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> she kind of, yeah, she thought too long about yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay, so what did you have, Patty, for Katniss? I have two. Um, because I, and I think they're sort of similar. A Shiba Inu. Very huh. quick, good hunting dog. Very pretty uh-huh. to look at. But can be... Um, very tomboyish at times, but can clean up nicely. <laughs> or a German pincher, which is uh, more sort of like down the hardcore lines. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What did you have, Jennifer? You're not going to like this. I'm going to have to explain it. Because Katniss uh. is uber smart. And Katniss is gorgeous and beautiful. Mm-hmm. But Katniss is also very humble. Yeah. And she she does she doesn't think a lot of herself all the time, but yet she is so smart and versatile. So I went with the standard poodle. Who gets a bad oh, rap wow. because a standard poodle is all of those things. I would agree with that. I think that was that was good. That was good. And I love Katniss and I love standard poodle, so it went together. I love Katniss, yeah. <laughs> mhm. I of course went in a different direction. <laughs> oh, there's a shock. <laughs> I went with a Jack Russell. Interesting. Now, now I no, gotta say I that she's that. gotta be the taller of the two versions. Yeah, yeah, the leggy one. The leggy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The leggy one. <laughs> like the one on Fraser. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Okay, Patty, who did you have for Emmett Brown from uh Back to the Future, the professor, the mad scientist. A clumber spaniel. Ah! That's perfect. <laughs> and I'm not going to explain a thing about it. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Jennifer, who did you have? I went with uh, the Dr. Emmett Brown and his more schizophrenic moments. I went with the wire-haired fox terrier. Oh, that's good. Uh-huh. No, that's good. Well, I couldn't decide. So I have a Labradoodle, <laughs> a Sheepdog, and a Wheaton Terrier. And you mix Wheaton them all Terrier's up. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can totally see a Wheaton Terrier because yeah, me they're, too. they're a little bit schizo. Yeah. No, I could so totally see that. Absolutely. And so are Labradoodles. Yeah. A little skitsy. Yeah. And an old English Sheepdog, they're just goofy. They're yeah. goofy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good ones. As usual. As usual. <laughs> well, if you guys out there, um, our, our wonderful listeners, have um, dog breeds you like to add to the list of Batman, Superman, Han Solo, Mr. Spock, Ray, Katniss, and Emmett Brown, 
Find us on Facebook or go to our website, healthycrittersradio.com. And the Facebook page is? Healthy Critters Radio. Yay! Yeah. Give us your thoughts. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 